Welcome to Dead House. My name is Dylan. I'm Nathan. And uh, this is going to be our first episode reviewing uh, an actual film as opposed to just talking about all sorts of films or just yeah. ourselves. First episode specifically about one movie. Yes. And um, pretty excited. We uh, we decided to go, go right back to... Uh, Arguably the first slasher, horror, thriller movie that yeah. sort of hit the mainstream. I, w- I would say it's like the first one that I guess we would consider to be scary. Or not necessarily scary, but like genuinely unsettling. Yeah, yeah, I could definitely I would see say. that. I could definitely agree with that sentiment. And uh, I'm sure say what the name of the movie is. <laughs> that film is Psycho, the 1960 original. Um, what do you reckon? A bit of background? Yeah, yeah. It's obviously, obviously directed by the man himself, Alfred mm-hmm. Hitchcock. Yep. Written by Joseph mm-hmm. Stefano. And apparently that was based on a book by Robert Block, which uh, yep. I didn't know that the, the book was also called Psycho and had like the same characters and everything because I knew it was inspired by Ed Gain. Yep. The, the book was definitely inspired by Ed Gain. Yeah. And the movie is inspired by the book. So. Yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't know there were that many similarities to like the script of the film and that book which is pretty cool yeah yeah um yeah and obviously ed gain has been you know interpreted in cinema before as leatherface Tex- yep, chainsaw massacre yeah so this would have been before then you know <laughs> by like then, what yes. i don't know 15 years yeah, or so something like that um yeah so like obviously it's not the first horror film and you know there were classics before then um, where you had things like Wolfman the and Dracula. Universal, you know. Yeah, Castle. Frankenstein, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Frank Castle, no, not Frank Castle, that's in fucking Punisher. <laughs> What's that guy's name that did all the gimmicks and stuff? I'm just thinking of Boris Karloff. I don't know who okay. the other people would have been. We'll, we'll remember that at a later anyway, date. Vincent um, Price, though. Vincent Price, yeah. He, like he's The Fly, he was in The Fly. And, yes, with that yeah. iconic voice of his. Yeah, which was before <laughs> Psycho. Debatably, Psycho was more... I don't know. I, I didn't find The Fly very scary. It was kind of comical at times. Like It was obviously the like body horror aspect of it to a degree. Yeah, I still haven't seen the original The Fly, so I okay. cannot comment. But yeah, so then, so Psycho, of black, made in black and white. Mm. Bit of an odd choice because despite how old it is, color movies were a thing by then. Uh, do, you know, do you know why he made it black and white? Uh I don't actually because no. it was cheap. Okay, there you go. I assumed it was just limitations. Yeah, but... it was sort of a sort of a half half because it was cheaper, and he okay. was trying to keep the budget. I think under a million dollars or something like that. So not really a creative choice per se. Also, the other part of it is there was a I want to say French director filmmaker who mm. made a movie called Diabolic or Diabolical something like that. Okay, who Alfred Hitchcock was a big fan of. Okay, and that was in black and white. Yeah, and Alfred Hitchcock had already done bigger movies and stuff, Hollywood stuff. Okay. He was kind of sick of that. And so he decided to just make a low budget, you know, arty type movie. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, that's the reason he kind of got sick of the whole movie side mm. of it. So he filmed the entire thing with like a television film crew yeah, instead wow. of a movie one. Because this is not his first film either. No, no, no. He'd already done others. I think he'd done Vertigo by then. Okay. And... Yeah, I can't recall. Rear Window, I think, was after. The Wrong Man, I think, was another one he did. Yeah, and starring Anthony Perkins and Janet Lee, which uh, I think Anthony Perkins in this, even by today's standards, is like brilliant acting. Just his reactions yes. to like, just the horror of seeing the body and things like that. 100%. And the way that he plays, technically multiple people. Yeah, I mean, 
part of the reason, well, one of the many reasons that the movie's become, I guess, so iconic is because of his villain. Mm. I think he is on AFIs, which is a, a American film institutions ranked number two on horror movies, like horror, oh, movie, really? horror movie villains, sorry. Oh, that's yeah, cool. So he's number two. And I think the, the movie itself is number one on 100 most thrilling movies in the last 100 years. Like as a villain or as a film? As a film. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so released in released in 1960, um, which like for me when I, uh, uh, like I was saying before, obviously there were films in like the 50s and things. You had like Creature from the Black Lagoon and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, like Body Snatchers. Those kind of things. But this was like the first one I think that was like moving into that next era of horror. And when I think the classics, I think 70s. And when we were talking about what film we were going to review first as like its its own episode and really delve deep into something, um, you had the idea of kind of like taking it back to where it started for our like generation, what we perceive as mm. one of the oldest classics. Yeah. when we, Our generation is kind of tough because... Like, yeah, even the 70s are classics in our eyes because it was 20 years before Still before our time, yeah. But yeah, going back to one that was made 30 years, 30 plus years before Mm. we were born, definitely makes it a classic. Yeah, (laughs) because I mean, I think I had seen parts of this at school in like film and TV, but you had never seen this before. I had never seen this before. I'd seen, obviously, the iconic bloody shower stabbing scene. Shower stab scene, yeah. I'd seen some some scenes throughout the movie, like uh, like the mother at the end. Yeah. Quote, unquote, mother at the end. (laughs) Um, yeah, and I've also seen a couple of things to do with the uh, 1998 remake of it. Oh, yes, we got to talk about that. I can't talk shit about it. I've never seen it. Yeah, well, it's starring uh, Vince Vaughn and Julianne Moore. And William H. Macy, I believe. And William H. Macy is Arbogast. Yeah, yeah, the private investigator. See, I didn't know until I did a bit of digging in that, that it was directed by Gus Van Sant, who did Elephant, My Private Idaho... Yeah. He's actually got some some decent films. So I'm, I'm actually intrigued. I don't know about Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Does he play Norman Bates? Yeah, he yeah. plays Norman Bates. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know about that. A very yeah, very young Vince Vaughn. I've not seen it, so I can't comment on it. But uh, maybe one day we'll do an episode about it. So last episode we had a, a realization that I had that there was an actor related to another actor in a horror movie. I just thought it was yeah, funny it was... with the Patricia Arquette, David Arquette. Yeah, in Nightmare Three, was it? Yeah, Nightmare Three and, and David Arquette on the screen. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just going to be from now on, we're just going to find funny little <laughs> connections like that because I found out that in this movie, Janet Lee, who plays Marion Crane, yeah. the main woman in this, yeah. is the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis. What? <laughs> yes. I feel like I should have known that. Yes, you such should've. a Halloween buff. Yeah. I, you, that does sound kind of familiar, actually, but I, I, I would have known that her parents were like famous actors. But yeah, I, I didn't know that was yeah. that was the connection. So that's, that's this episode's connection of actors. That's cool. See, it's interesting because like, she did better as, as a daughter because she never died in the, in the saga. Uh, I think she did. She fared better. I think I think she died in one of the movies. Anyway. Anyway, moving on. Moving um, on. This was actually nominated for four Academy Awards as well, I found out. But I don't think it won any. I don't know. Yeah, I think I it was nominated no for like Best Picture, Best Director, I think, and among others. And yeah, I don't know if it actually won any. but Because um, I don't think this, at the time, was considered one of Hitchcock's best films. I no, think it no. just kind of accumulated... Over time to have like a more revered status. Well, it, it did well at the box office, but it was kind of sabotaged-ish by the studios. Like the studios, and I can't remember which studio mm. was um, behind it, but they didn't like sort of want it to do well because they thought it was 
abhorrent. Like it, oh. they thought it was a because who was making it to be a you know it a, was a horror, disgusting slasher yeah. movie with and at the this time, woman that gets killed and. This is before The Exorcist, where you've yeah, got, like, yeah. heads is... spinning around 360 degrees. And... Yeah, this is back in a time where everything was goody-two-shoes, you know, not really much was out of the norm. And so the studio like, didn't gone want with it... the wind, saying, yeah. flanking my dear, I don't give a damn, was, like... <laughs> yeah, offensive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they they didn't want it to do well. Um, I think they sort of gave it terrible running mm. times at the cinemas and stuff. And I think... He benefited well from that because apparently he took a deal with the with the studio that he wouldn't get paid his usual. I think it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollar director fee. Wow. He would yeah, back then a lot of money. Uh, he would instead get a percentage of the box office. Uh, okay. And so the studio thinking, oh, this is going to be a terrible movie. Mm. We you know let's do it so we don't have to pay him up front. Interesting. It then goes on to be one of the most successful but like movies of all time and he makes bank yeah see films like that though like cult classics it appeals to like arty people more when it's kind of hated and <laughs> it, it starts this like counterculture yeah mentality yeah. kind of thing like look at pulp fiction like such a small budget such a gritty film yet it's now regarded like one of the best films of all time get that a lot with the just yeah movies yeah what, what was it dog no dogma dogma like, yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Bloody Tenacious D. Movies that do horribly, cheaply made, but then find a cult following. Just just love it. Yeah, and I guess like this film also, it's been been referenced so much in pop culture today as well. Oh, it's been done to death. Like, for good reason too, but... Even like when we were watching it, like that that shower scene, I just kept thinking of The Simpsons, where like oh. Maggie hits Homer and he grabs the paint and. Oh yeah, <laughs> but yeah, so it's that's obviously it's become a cliche, like for a reason. Like it's obviously just super memorable or shocking at the time, I suppose, to mm. the point that it survived decades later in other iterations. Yeah, so. I mean, it's it's definitely weird though going back to watch it now because mm. these days when we're desensitized all that it's sort pretty of stuff. tame yeah yeah it's very tame and back on to the harper on again about the point of horror versus thriller there's nothing mm. supernatural in this there's not really any yeah it's uh, just violence it's i just suppose violence, yeah unsettling it's and, unsettling it's just yeah. there's a whole creepiness to to everything surrounding norman bates when he's watching a change behind the behind the wall and yeah stuff. interesting as well like you're in the killer's shoes a lot Mm. Like it's not like you know you're you're constantly unaware of where he is or what he's doing. Like you're seeing everything he's getting up to and how he operates before you know the main victim. Yeah, I mean, and uh, yeah, sort of a third of the way through the movie, he almost pivots to become the main character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I guess back to what you were saying before, like being a black and white film, it would have had their limitations, but also gave him freedom to a degree, like using chocolate syrup for blood. Yep, yep. Because it wouldn't have come up brown i guess in the film um yeah and you just sort of cut corners there and make it easy yeah and because they had like the private investigator and the femme fatale like a lot of these sort of noir tropes were coming through yeah. and relying heavily on shadows and shots and stuff yes. so yeah it definitely had its pros and cons being of that time as well yeah yeah for sure and you were saying before about the the sequels and the 1998 remake so Psycho had, it spawned the franchise, right? Because there were three sequels. There was like a TV show spinoff, um, like a made-for-TV movie. Okay. The 1998 remake by Gus Van Sant. And then there was the Bates Motel TV show more recently. Okay, yep. So, yeah, it's, it's obviously a surviving story. And um, all of that happened after his death in 1980. Hitchcock? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So he wouldn't have, like, intended for any of that either. 
Yeah, well, they can't be that good though, because I didn't know about the sequels. <laughs> I did. I only knew about the remake and the most recent TV show. Well, it's like I didn't know about the Exorcist sequels until recently, <laughs> and I'm going. I would have liked to have kept it that way. Every good movie is just doomed to have bad sequels. I will never watch them. I don't want it to taint. I'd, my, my the only one the I'd first. say to watch is the Exorcist Three because it's got that mm. borderline funny but good. <laughs> okay, it's like Children of the Corn as well. I didn't know that had so many sequels. <laughs> many, many, many. Anyway, many Children of the Corn. We're getting carried away. We should probably... Let's actually get into this movie. <laughs> Let's huh? get back to it. So I guess we'll probably go through like the beats of the film and mm-hmm. we'll sort of go through the story from start to finish, just add little comments here and there of what we noticed. And I mean, there shouldn't be any spoilers of a film that came out <laughs> in the 60s by now. Yeah. So, so if you haven't seen the movie yet, that's your own fault. And if you right. have seen it, then you can you know, yeah. follow along with the beats we know. Okay. So... <laughs> So how's it start? Movie opens. Yeah, so the opening scene is you've got the main star, Marion Crane, um, with her partner, Sam. They've just had sex. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, <laughs> On her lunch break. <laughs> pretty risque for uh, the 60s, to be honest. Um, yeah, they're talking about how they want to get married, but Sam's got this crippling debt from his deceased father, um, and that's something that's holding he's him back. He's also got to pay alimony, I think, is a big part of it. Yeah, because he's got the ex-wife as yes. well. And I love the line here. He's, he's like talking about um, sending it to her. And he's like, he turns to Marion. He's like, you can lick the envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Uh, interesting thing too. I was saying before we started the podcast, I'm not that good at sort of picking and identifying color mm. theory and like meaning behind colors in yeah. movies. But this was one where in this scene and then in a later scene, I actually did... I think I picked something up, right. which is ironic in a black and white in film a black and I'm white picking film. up some color theory. Yeah. But in this opening scene, she is wearing a white bra. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's meant to signify that she's sort of pure and, and the, oh. good, the good character. And then the next time yeah. you see her I mean, shirtless, she's in a black bar. bar. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. We're cutting that uh, out. <laughs> 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 oh, Oh, this was the 60s, Nathan, remember? <laughs> um, black bra. She was in a black bra, and that's just after she's uh, stolen the money, which we'll get to in a bit, but yeah. after she's stolen money, so she's sort of become this evil character, and she, yeah. you're no longer seeing her as this pure, angelic sort of character. Yeah, like the innocence has shifted to a more sinister Yeah, so I, I just like that I picked up on that. Yeah, nice. All right, I don't know if that was intended or not. But interesting. <laughs> surely, interesting. surely, surely. Yeah. Everything is always on purpose when it comes to movies. That's right. Chekhov's gun theory. <clears throat> exactly. Um, yeah. So that, that establishes, I guess, who, who the characters are and what, what the motive is for the next, you know, next step in the film where yep. we had uh, Crane go back to work. Um, and then we had that, I don't know, some kind of businessman came in. Yep. My notes were creepy cowboy. A creepy cowboy. <laughs> Rich guy comes in. Yep. Yep. Um, deposits $40,000 cash. Cash. Which I feel like even by today's standards, in cash, that's a shitload of money. Well, even in the movie, he says it's the amount to buy a house. So forty thousand dollars. Forty thousand. He says it. The forty thousand dollars is to buy like his daughter a house Jesus. as a as a wedding present, and no. so he's like, "Yep, forty thousand cash right now." That's not even a deposit no, these yeah. days. Yeah. Well, I, okay. So I looked it up on an inflation calculator. Yeah. And that amount of money now is about four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Jesus Christ. Which, I mean, to be fair though, still isn't enough to buy a good house. No, no. But that's, yeah. I mean, if you're just walking around with that in cash in a bag and you're just like yeah, that def- splashing it in a It definitely puts a, a different, different spin on the movie when you think, oh, she's stolen a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. 
Fair. Okay. This is also where um, we get the Alfred Hitchcock cameo. I don't know if you picked it up, but he's like standing outside waiting for a ride or something outside her office, like facing away in a hat and coat. I couldn't tell you what the man looks like. Surely. Surely. Uh, you, you would recognize a photo of him. Maybe for sure. if I saw him, but if you ask me now, other than he probably looks like a older, slightly heavy set man. Think Homer Simpson. <laughs> if he wasn't yellow. I was going to say. And okay, he had yellow, more of a hooked yellow, nose. Yellow fingers. <laughs> Um, two single hairs. I'm making too many Simpsons references. <laughs> There's never too many Simpsons references. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the the boss ends up like staying back to have have a chat with the man, and he entrusts Marion with the money and says, "Hey, can you go deposit this?" Yep. Um, she claims she's got a headache, um, leaves work early, and she makes the decision to take the money, steals it right yeah, out for and herself. I thought it was kind of funny and odd how it's so much money and they they just trust her with mm. hey just go take this down to the bank will you yeah they kind yeah. of quell that when later they're like oh well she's been working with them for 10 years mm. like surely you're gonna trust that person yeah that's right so yeah she's got the money um she makes the decision to to split presumably at this stage to use it towards the marriage or the yeah, wedding yeah, or pay, whatever pay, pay off the guy's debts pay off the alimony and then and they can go start their life together yeah and then we get this like Pulp Fiction esque. I was wondering that, if that was. That a nice was, segue. I was, I was wondering if that was a, like, if Pulp Fiction did a nod to this because oh, it was very similar. Yeah, maybe. Where she's sitting in her car leaving town at a set of traffic lights mm. and she's just in her car and then sees the boss walk by over the crosswalk and yeah. they sort of have this second where he looks back and recognizes her. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was wondering if that was. Uh, yeah, if Pulp I don't Fiction know. Took it I'd have that. to look into that. That'd be funny. Surely it would have to be. Yeah. I mean, again, though. Another Simpsons reference. All yeah. I could think of was... Simpsons have done everything, man. It's like the South Park yeah. one. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah, Looks like, like, like the spiders caught himself <laughs> a couple of flies. Uh, so, yeah, light turns green. She guns it and gets out of Dodge. Mm. Phoenix. Yeah, so she tries to... Yeah, so she's in Phoenix, Ari- Arizona. Yes, not Arizona, um, Phoenix. Yeah, and she tries to get across the borderline to California, yeah, right? Fairvale, California. Yeah, is. yeah. So um, she can't make it in one one hit, so she's driving through the night. This was funny, this part. So she she's like getting sleepy and her eyelids are getting heavy. So you, you see in the next shot that she's pulled over on the side of the road and she's slept there in her car on the side of the road, it, you know. Cuts to the next morning. But it fades to black, has her eyes closed. First time I saw Ooh. this, I was like, has she just passed out of the wheel and she's about to like crash and go through the windscreen or something? That's good. Um, but no, it's just like this fade to black and then it yeah, cuts to the next morning. I don't know if it was before or after that scene where there's, there's a scene of her just driving in the car and it's playing like the like the strings. I think it might even be there, like the iconic opening main theme of it. And it's got the different voices. I don't know if she's imagining what yeah. like what people are going to be saying that was, about that time or later. That was something I noticed too. Yeah, it's, it's like she's in the car driving and there's voiceovers that she's like, it looks like she's contemplating it. But it's a conversation between like businessman and the boss. So yeah. it's not a conversation she's heard. Yeah, and not, not anything that would have even happened yet. It's sort of yeah. her imagination just imagining what it's going to be like once they realize what she's done. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. I, I noticed that too. And all just behind this, you know, really cool sounding score. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite, that was quite well done. Yeah. So anyway, she, um, she wakes up and this cop pulls over. Uh, she acts really sus, doesn't want to give over the license and hides the money and all yep. this kind of thing. And then she makes her way to a, a car dealership. Does she, cause that was, I don't know if I just read the scene wrong, but the guy, the cop asked for a license. Mm takes a license, checks it, and then checks her front plates. 
gives her license back, then walks back to the cop car, but then she guns it. Yeah, like, I, I thought... Is she running from the cops? Because he just lets I it know. happen. I, I thought when we watched that, that like she gave him her license, mm. he went back to the car to read it, and that she just like <laughs> bailed. Yeah, but I then think she was just anxious. Because then he's following her for a bit. The whole looking over the shoulder thing with that dramatic music, though, it does, does well to build tension. Yeah. Like yeah. for its time as well. Yeah, very like... In, even the opening sequence, a very intense score. Yeah. Yeah, so then she she goes to the car dealership in Cali to to trade cars. So she's got you know a, a California plate, um, not a car that's recognizable by anyone that might have seen her. And the cop follows her, so he's mm-hmm. like waiting outside the dealership, creepily watching across yeah, the road. That, that, that's good just to have him in the background of the whole scene. Yeah, where it's just this bit of a tense scene with my favorite character in the movie. I think is that car salesman. Yeah. <laughs> He's just so upbeat and positive. He's like, yeah. Oh. He just wants to sell. He doesn't he just he don't give sale. a fuck. But then when the sale's a bit too easy, he starts questioning it. She's just yeah. she's a little too eager for the car. And he's like, well, hold on. You're not in trouble, are you? Doesn't even want to have a test drive or yeah. anything. Doesn't, doesn't want to haggle. Nearly ten, leaves ten for that, that a... you must be mad. Yeah. Is this the first time we get the voiceover when she's in the car? Because it's between the cop and the and the salesman. Not, mu- not between the boss. It, and It must be. Yeah. yeah. Either way, it's, it's well done because it just shows it's like building that anxiety that she's mm. got, that she's going to get caught. And she's like, yeah, imagining things that haven't even happened yet. Yep, yep. So that was really cool. She's starting to feel guilty about the things that she's done. Yeah. So um, so she's making the drive uh, through heavy rain, um, you know, can't even see like a meter in front of her. So she pulls over yep. at the first, first motel she stops by, which happens to be Bates Motel. Indeed. Um, and this is where the charismatic Norman Bates sort of um, welcomes her in, takes all her stuff and checks her in the registry and she signs in. What does she sign in? Is a, it's not Marion Crane. It's someone Samuels. Can't I can't remember. It, I think it was maybe just like Sam Loomis, like the, the boyfriend's name. I don't think so. Oh, I'm not sure. I don't know. Anyway, it's not her real name. She, <laughs> yeah. she's, co- she's trying to cover her tracks. Yeah. I do, um, I do, I do like her though. His, his name's Sam Loomis. So that was also taken... In Halloween. Yeah. Halloween, they named him true. Loomis and then Billy Loomis. Professor Loomis, screen. Billy Loomis. Wow. Everything's just recycled in horror. Man, this is, yeah. Everything this, this is, is a nod to an Everything's older movie. Everything's borrowed. Yeah. Yeah, so this is where, like, we're introduced to Norman Bates and he's this kind of, like, nervous, shy, but, like, you know, bubbly, friendly enough guy. Bit of a boy next door type. Yeah, you know, yeah. Definitely no, no immediate danger vibes mm. coming from him. <laughs> immediate danger vibes immediate oh. danger vibes no immediate danger vibes I'm going to put that in my Tinder profile <laughs> <laughs> so he's like hey it's kind of lonely around here would you mind um, you know joining me for dinner mm-hmm. and what's that dinner <laughs> sandwiches and milk mmm <laughs> I can't think of anything better that's an interesting what do you think was on those sandwiches pickles and cheese I was wondering that when they showed the shot of her eating it it looked like just a slice of cheese <laughs> A thick slice of cheese. Maybe that's all it was. Yeah. With milk though, like yeah, double dairy. So she's having milk and sandwiches with Norman Bates <laughs> in his um, parlor, sort of behind the office. Yeah, and it's it's this is where um you know his persona starts to change, where he's like probing and trying mm. to like force a conversation that Norman Bates wants to have, but then he's um you know we find out that. Uh, in the house overlooking the motel, his mother's there and she doesn't necessarily like him speaking to young women, things mm-hmm. like that. And that's where he starts to, uh, a bit of that anger and yep. frustration yep. starts to come through. It's a bit kind of cool too, seeing he's a kind of manipulative. Like he, he starts to initiate a conversation mm. and then he starts making comments of like, oh, you know, I don't like my mother type stuff. It's awful. It's horrible living. Yeah. And then when she starts to agree with him, he gets all defensive. Like, whoa, whoa what are you doing? This is my mother you're talking about. Yeah, you know, yeah. My mother's... Yeah, you know, a mother is a boy's best friend type mm, stuff. Interesting. Yeah, that's right. And um, 
this is really well done. This is probably my favorite moment, I think, in, in the film because he's in this room where he confesses that he's a taxidermist Mm-hmm. And there's like these stuffed animals, like they're all birds, right? They are all birds. I think he says because other beasts are too unclean or dirty yeah. or something like that. Yeah, so that's your first red flag if you yeah. if your last name is Crane. If if yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, I made that point where we watched. I was like, I wonder if that was an intended pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, there's this like stuffed raven, stuffed owl, and things. And it, the shot of him speaking, you're kind of like looking up at him. So like he's in power, and then you've got these like birds of prey kind of like in the background, which was kind of yeah, like a hint of what's to come or like an insight into his mm. true personality, I suppose. Yeah. So then they they had the conversation. Crane is kind of made increasingly uncomfortable. She calls it a night. Goes next door to change, and this is where Bates gets his his creeper on and he sort of removes that painting like looks through the peephole that yep. are changing a little peephole and this is yeah where we start to see him kind of being a bit more kind of calculated and very like assured yeah. of his actions not, not such the innocent man he's probably done this before yeah he's got a peephole yeah that's quite unnerving i suppose where it's like at first because we because we don't know anything about norman bates right like we don't know anything about the mother yeah, or literally nothing the deaths or anything so at this stage it's just like this lovely nervous guy you know no one comes by this old highway anymore he's there's this pretty young lady that stops by in the middle of the night and all of a sudden he's watching through a peephole so yes. it's <laughs> it takes a bit of a dark turn yep yep um and then i think then she starts trying to figure out how to hide the money and i thought it was genius like yeah she's, she's starting to find place goes put in a drawer no not there that's too obvious and then she takes out a newspaper that she had mm. takes the money out of an envelope just puts in the newspaper sort of folds up the newspaper and just leaves it on, on the, the nightstand stand. right in plain sight yeah anyone can see it but it, it's no one's gonna think that's forty thousand dollars in there it's clever in the sense that it's not like if you knew someone had stolen a large sum of money and you would want to check like the obscure hiding places but when you stay in a motel and you have cleaners <laughs> come in and they're gonna like okay. make your room look nice like that's what i thought as well at first and then yeah. i was like oh actually that's probably a terrible idea she's only staying there one night yeah it's yeah that's fine. true she's like did they even lock the doors i don't think they locked doors often back then i don't know yeah i mean it has a key true yeah, so so she's like stressing about the money, but she's like, "All right, I'm away. No one knows where I am." She's starting to like relax a little, mm-hmm. and um, this is where she's stripped off. She's running the water. She's getting ready to have a shower. You know, we've got the introduction to the iconic death scene. Yep. Before we get into that, though, I've just remembered before they're eating dinner. Yeah. When they're first talking, and he invites her to dinner, she can hear. From the distance, mm. Norman arguing with his mother. True, yeah. So that, that's a bit of an important thing where she hears two different voices arguing with each other. Yes, yeah, so that's what, that's when she kind of realizes that he's not alone and, well, yeah. you know. Yeah. She, she, <laughs> spoiler. She, yeah. Thinks, she thinks he's not alone. And, um, yeah, because that's how it comes up in conversation, right, when they're having dinner is like, yeah. oh, your mother sounds like mad at me or, you know, I wouldn't let her speak to you that way. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I you, just thought that was an important thing to mention before we yeah, go forward. Yeah, fair. Um, so then we get the iconic iconic shower scene. Yes. Yeah, so, so then we're in the shower scene. Man, I had one of those. We mentioned this in <laughs> one of the other episodes where I – like grew up in a house that had one of those like shower bars with a curtain. Yep. I was lucky enough not to ever have one growing up, but I have one now. Yeah. See, and so even now as a 25 year old man, I still close and think, Ooh, okay. What could be it, on the other side of that? It wasn't psycho that like made me scared of it though. It was like, there's other films where it could be, Oh, there's like fucking alien or predator or, uh, um, yeah. So she's, she's having a shower. She's in there. She's got a back turn to the curtain. And this is where we see the silhouette of a woman enter the room. 
And then, yeah, the curtain parts, the knife raises. She turns around and screams, gets stabbed a bunch of times. A bunch of times. A bunch of times. For not being a graphic movie, like you don't ever see any gore or Mm. knife going in flesh. But she's getting violently stabbed. How many times she gets stabbed? Is it, like, is it more than five? Oh, definitely, definitely. Okay. Because it's, it's cut so quickly, mm. but it's just constantly the, the supposed air quotes, old lady stabbing, 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 and she's in the shower yeah. there just, just constantly getting stabbed. And yeah. you're just like, man, when's this going to be finished? Yeah, true. <laughs> but true. done well. Like, it's not like it's too long or anything. Mm. It's just... And this is where we get those, like, pun intended, string stabs <laughs> yeah. in, like, the soundtrack. And one yeah, of, just... one of the, if not most iconic, like, Mm. Movie sounds. Uh, yeah, this is where the the chocolate syrup um, comes into play. <laughs> the trusty chocolate syrup blood. Something I noticed about this is like when she's she she like grabs the curtain and she collapses and mm-hmm. you know it's got like the blood running down. There's not a lot of blood. It's it's like what? as much as if you cut your finger gardening or something. Like it's not. Yeah, it's well, not stabbed it's, more it's, than five it, times. It's a still minute. back in the sixties. Like they probably fought hard to keep it you know, allowed to be true. made through the censorship and That's stuff. That's true, yeah. So I'm sure it was hard to do that. And yeah. then it comes in handy later because someone's got to clean up all mm. that blood. Yeah, and I mean, we've got some... Like, even earlier in the film up to this point, like, lots of extreme close-ups, lots of long tracking shots. All the cinematography is making you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, the whole time leading up to this. Like, um, we forgot to mention before, but the peephole scene where he's looking at her. Oh, it's, that is such it's a nice shot, shot. It's shot from his point of view. Yeah. And I think it was even filmed with like a certain resolution, which meant to, is meant to mimic the human eye. So mm. it makes you really feel like you're actually like they're looking That's at her cool. through the peephole. And then, yeah, when, when Crane is stabbed and she's like on the floor of the bathroom and you're like super, you know, extreme close up on the eye, just slowly mm-hmm. like panning out and, and sort of like twisting as well, like getting that like candid frame yep. and... Just um, lingers on the shot that she's dead. Yeah, I mean because it's the main character. Yeah, who's dead in the first third of the of the movie. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, really well done. So unexpected. Yeah, great scene. You, you hear him like arguing in the house, don't you, with mother? It's like, what is that blood? Or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and so, yeah. So the, comes the, running down. Yeah, what is that blood? Oh God! Comes running in, sees the body. His reaction. Yeah. Oh, Anthony Perkins acting in this scene is amazing. He definitely sells it, and yeah. then he sort of freaks out for a second, for a bit, and then does what any good son would do and <laughs> grabs a mop cover and a up bucket. The murder. Yeah, cover up the murder, and, yeah. and then you just get this long sequence of mm. just him cleaning up the bathroom and yeah. with B- a mop. Billy, Billy hesitates too. Like, sees it, like pauses. You know, hand covers the mouth, and it's like, all right. Lights off, mop on bucket, sweeping yep. up the blood, grabbing um, the shower curtain. Time to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, put, puts her in the trunk of her own car. Yeah. Grabs all her belongings. Uh, and the money Including as well. the, the newspaper that the money's in. He doesn't know the money's in there. He does not know yeah. the money's in there. That, see, I really love that because that's it shows it was never about money. Yeah. I like mean, it was, he never wanted to steal anything me. from you, her. Yeah, beat me to it. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I had that thought as well. Where Crime of passion. And I think even for the rest of the movie especially Marion Crane's sister is like, oh, he, everyone suspects he did it for the money. Yeah. And then yeah. it turns out he didn't know anything about the money. This was just a deluded yeah. boy uh, snaps. <laughs> yeah. And so it had nothing to do with money. It's just. So he puts her, uh, the money in her possessions in the boot of the car and he pushes it into a swamp. Um, I never actually looked into this, but I, I mentioned this when we watched it. Like, do you reckon they literally chucked an old car into a swamp? Like let it sink into the mud? I don't. Think so? Because, not. Because I think a lot of the film was uh, done like the like a back lot, like the Universal yeah, lot. Yeah. And so I'm imagining like I think they did it for Stand by Me as well, where they just mm. they make they dig a hole and they make their own swamp. Is I like, what yeah. I assume they did. Because I mean, if if they've had to cut budget costs 
for being a black and white film. You're not going to be like, all right, let's take a car and sink it into a fucking swamp. True. <laughs> I mean, that, that's cheaper than building your own, though. Well, that's true. Well, I guess it depends. I was also going to say, oh, they probably also wouldn't want to worry about the, the environmental hazards, but it's the 60s. They didn't care. <laughs> they don't care about the environment back then. Doctors were still smoking in their offices. Yeah. Um, Delivering yeah. babies with a smoke in their mouth. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's where uh, we see. I think the next scene is is you've got her sister Lila. We meet her for the first time. She's confronting Sam yep. at his work, and they've never met before. Her and and Marion's partner Sam. Yep. She's just heard about his uh, her boyfriend. Yeah, thing. so so she comes in, um, asks if he knows what's going on. Um, well, I think I think at the beginning she demands to see her because she's pretty adamant that she'd be there, or, right, or, or around that area. Like yeah. she thinks she's you know gone back to see him and mm. is probably just waiting around in his house or something yeah so and, and then while they're having like a heated argument this is where we also get introduced to um private investigator arbogast arbogast who has been hired i believe by lila to find marion which one's lila what the sister okay then no i believe it was hired by the person who lost the money oh uh, okay yeah that makes sense yes that makes a lot more to, sense to, yeah to yeah, hired we, we don't care about human life where's yeah. that fucking forty thousand dollars <laughs> exactly yeah hired him to track down the money so then we've got the three of them kind of arguing. Sam doesn't know what's going on. Arbogast says, well, we believe that she's taken the money and run. Um, and then I think it shows him kind of like stopping at every motel. So like along the yeah, way. Yeah, it was a good good montage. And mm. I'll be honest, I didn't really quite understand it to start with because I didn't make the connection that she was going to see him. I was like, why? He's just going to go around and check random hotels. But oh, okay, it's, it's a montage of him checking the hotels, yeah. hotels between phoenix Un- and uh yeah until California. he gets to bates motel yeah. yeah so he arrives there and we've got a, a complete personality shift here for norman bates like he's <laughs> confident calm yeah like no longer the shy boy and he's pretty happy to yeah pretty happy to, to gas bag chewing on candy and big grin on his face and everything again like awesome acting like the different personalities he, he's yeah. played and the whole the whole scene that follows but just with that sort of quote-unquote interrogation between yeah. arbogast and and bates is just great there's a great dialogue of of the back and forth mm. where he's questioning him and Bates will say something which contradicts something before and Arbogast will catch him on it yeah. and sort of keep prying further and it's like slowly widening yeah. the, the mystery to That's try right. and get a get a, a feel for it. Yeah, so after he's like had a bit of a look around and is interrogated uh, Norman Bates, he goes to a payphone to call Lila, advise them um, that he's had a word with Norman Bates. Something doesn't seem quite right. He wants to go back and uh, talk to the mother talk to the mother who yeah. norman sort of accidentally let slip may have had an, uh, an encounter with marion yep um goes back to the house i believe it's it's unlocked again an unlocked door like yeah, it's just unlocked. what is it did, like did america just not have guns everywhere at this point <laughs> like everyone was just everyone was nicer back then yeah this was like <laughs> this was funny so he's like what he goes in looks around goes up the stairs and I think he just gets to the, the top of the stairs, right? And mm. that's when mother comes flying out with the knife wielded and bloody stabs, stabs him. him a bunch <laughs> of times. And he falls down the <laughs> stairs, somehow upright, but you can hear the feet like kicking on the stairs yeah, as he goes down. It's a it's a funny looking, but I very much like it shot. I think it's they did it with like back projection. Yeah. Where they just project it up on the back and he's mm. quote unquote <laughs> falling backwards. He just falls down like ten meters without yeah. actually falling down. Yeah. And then even when he's on the ground, I think she like runs down the stairs and stabs him some more. Like, and then like mm. fades to black or something. It's pretty intense. Yeah, it's yeah, then it's a pretty hard cut of like, yep, action, and then it cuts to a just normal scene. Mm. Yeah. So then Abagas said he'd 
call them again or he'd be back with Sam and Lila like within the hour or something. Yeah. And it's it's been longer than that and they haven't heard from him. So that's when they uh, they go to the sheriff, the local sheriff. Yeah, they just turn up at the sheriff's like, house. At his house. The deputy sheriff's house. Yeah. And they're like, I don't, even, don't, know, don't know what time it's meant to be, but obviously they're mm. in their pajamas yeah. getting ready to either go to bed or have been woken up in bed. Yeah, and this is a really cool scene too because this is where we learn a lot more about Norman as well. Because like at this stage... All we know is that he is disturbed and he's got an unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship with his mother. His controlling, yeah. manipulative mother. Mother. I don't know <laughs> what word just escaped my lips. Mother. Yeah. Manipulative mother. Manipulative. Um, yes, mother. Uh, mother. <laughs> anyway, getting sidetracked. They're talking to the sheriff and like, hey, we're really worried. She's been missing. This money's gone. And he's like, well, you should have just, you know, report it to police instead of getting, you know, private investigator involved. Yep. And then we find out that Norman Bates' mother died 10 years ago Ten in years a murder-suicide. Yeah. yeah, so that pretty much pivots the, the sheriff to thinking that it was Arbogast who was actually lying to mm. them and has pretty much found the money or been paid off to... To leave him alone. Now, yeah, now he's like, oh, well, if the detective knows that there's 40 grand over yeah. there and you haven't heard from him, does look sus. It's good It's good writing, like very good um, way to kind of thicken the plot and, and advance the narrative, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's also funny too, like in a lot of other horror movies, there's always the question of why don't they just go to the police? You know, why don't they mm. get the authorities involved? And then that's exactly what they do here. And then the cop is just kind of... Yeah. Well, you're wrong. This is you're probably just looking too much into it, or yeah, they're not very helpful at all to to start with. It wasn't Norman's father, was it? She killed like his father left or died when he was young, yeah. And it was like his mother's new yeah. partner, yeah, her, her believe, lover. Because yeah, I believe it was the the mother raised Norman as a single mother mm. for a while, and then took her lover, and then and then he got jealous. He, yeah, Norman kind of got jealous. Yeah, but you don't know that yet. Obviously. No, no, this comes out later. Yes. Um, and then I think the next is the next scene when Bates like finds the mother and is telling her we've got to go down to the cellar, and he's like carrying it must her body be, yeah, yeah, down. Could, yeah, because they don't they don't show up at the motel yet. It must be later. So, yeah. yeah. So he he goes to talk to his mother. Yeah. And pretty much you don't see them. It's outside of the room, but mm. he's arguing with his he's mother. arguing in the two voices. Yeah. 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 So this is where it gets like things get really heated because um, Sam and Lila check into the motel as a married couple. Mm-hmm. Um, air dis- quote. Sam is like checking them in. Um, in the motel and like no one's real sloppy like he's forgetting like the formal practices all the I don't different... know if he's forgetting I think maybe he's putting it on yeah like he, he maybe because Abagast has already been there so he's mm. probably thinking that other people are going to come look so he doesn't want to show them the register yeah he's like oh can we you know sign in the register and he's like no no you don't need to sign in the register it's fine don't worry about that yeah so it's like he's doing all these things so they wouldn't see any kind of evidence that Marion was there or even like sort of future proofing himself so that if something were to go bad and he has to do it again to these people yeah then there's no evidence of them being there yeah and that's when we, when we get the line uh my boss is paying for this trip but it's 90 percent business yeah. glances over at his partner's sister real subtle so good um i mean it sells that they're like on their own business you know? yeah it's believable <laughs> Yeah, and this is this is really well done. So, like, they check in, they look around. Uh, after they've settled in, they decide they're going to try and scope the place out and, and keep him distracted. So, Sam goes in, um, finds Bates and strikes up a conversation with him. At first, it's just, like, small talk to keep him occupied. 
Um, so Lila can go into the house where he saw the outline of the woman, which he now finds was not Norman's mother, yep. as she is uh, dead and buried <laughs> and has been for a decade. Yes. Um, in this conversation, they sort of show Sam and Norman talking while Lila's like snooping around and it's like getting in- increasingly heated, like to the point where he's interrogating Norman, like yeah. blatantly yeah, addressing the disappearance of yeah, Marion. It starts out as, you know, Sam being, oh yeah, I've been doing all the talking. Maybe, you know. You, you must get lonely. You must get lonely trying to get him to talk, maybe, you know, lose some bit of information. To just straight up, for. is she back there? Yeah, and then <laughs> starts interrogating the man. Uh, um, and then I think that's when then Norman realizes, oh wait, where's that woman you were with? And yeah, and clocks him over the head with something. <laughs> like, was it like an ashtray or a vase or something? Uh, I don't know, just whatever was in so, reach, I guess. Just brushes his head with it and is like collapsed on the floor. Yeah. And then yeah, then Lila's up snooping around in the house and finds the mother's room, mm. which is looks like it's been lived in. Yeah, it's got the her clothes and it's also immaculate so as well. Like yeah. you can you can see it's looked after, definitely clean. And then just a weird super indent on the mattress. Yeah, that was like memory foam. Yeah, <laughs> that was weird. Strange. Well, maybe that's just as like someone's been sleeping there. Yeah. It's probably what that was meant to be show. Yeah. Uh, and then she also finds Bates's room mm. after that, and it's I think there's like toys and stuff. Yeah, it's it's like a ten year old boy lived in and hasn't yeah. changed. I don't know. Just goes to show that. Norman's a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> yes. Just, yeah, hasn't grown out of that like childlike mentality. Yeah. Um, or perhaps that he hasn't even been sleeping in there. Or he's got a son. <laughs> oh, Psycho 5. In cinemas. <laughs> uh, it's just called Psychos. <laughs> or he's got a sister and it's called Psychosis. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. I like that. Let's make that I really happen. just came up with that. We get distracted. Back to the story. Um, yeah, so so Lila finds the rooms and then she goes down to the cellar. Well, she goes to leave, I think, and then hears Norman coming in. So she hides under the stairs. Yeah, true. Which then she discovers the cellar. Yeah. And so while Norman rushes upstairs to his mother's room, mm. she sneaks into the cellar. Yeah, and that's where um, she finds like who she thinks is Norman's mother. Sitting in a chair facing the wall. Yeah, yeah. Spins it around and it's like an embalmed corpse with the eyes missing. Yeah, pretty pretty good looking. Uh, <laughs> like a mummy. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, just a emaciated corpse. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's kind of... Which, I mean, to be fair, if you were watching this for the first time in 1960, that would be shocking. Because yeah. everything you've seen up to this point is that she's alive. Mm. I mean, apart from the... You know, sheriff saying she died. Yeah. But plants enough seeds that you think maybe the mother it, didn't die. Maybe yeah. someone else was buried and the mother is still alive because you've heard her speak and it, you've seen her. It definitely does allow for doubt because when he states that, he's like, well, if that was Norman's mother who you saw, who's buried in yeah. the cemetery? So they, they seed that plant in you. And so yeah. when you see the dead body under the house, see, then seed that plant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see that, that see, seed. Seed that thought is what I was going for. So then when you see the, the dead body under the house, then it's like, oh, well, then what the hell is happening? Yeah, yeah. Which is then when a Norman Bates busts into the room dressed up as his mother, <laughs> getting ready to stab him. The, stab yeah, that, it's, it's genuinely terrifying. When he bursts into the room with like a kitchen knife, like high above his head, like yeah. it's scary because like you're cornered in the cellar with this crazy guy He's with a dressed long up, ass Dressed knife. up as his mother with a wig. Yeah. <laughs> And then when Sam comes into the room, he's obviously regained consciousness. consciousness. Yep. God, we're, we're fucking... We're dyslexic and <laughs> like can't speak today. It's, yeah, yeah so, so Sam, Sam comes in, saves the day, stops yeah. it, and uh, and then it just kind of fades, I think. Mm. That phys- that physical struggle is quite comical. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's old and like they wouldn't have actually 
had proper choreography where they could have fight scenes and all the combat is like hella staged, but it's it's hard to watch and not laugh. Yeah. Because yeah. it, it looks grappled very, to the floor. Looks very fake. His mouth is agape and there's just silence. <laughs> like scuffling of shoes. There's yeah. no scream. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so he gets apprehended by Sam. Next shot is in the police station. Yeah, and the whole next sort of scene to follow is it's odd because we, we just went from a pretty climactic, you know, mother's dead, mm. Norman Bates bursts in, there's a struggle. And then the next five minutes of the movie is just shot in this one room. Like a crossfade transition and everyone's just yeah, yeah, everyone's comfortable and there. seated. And, and then there's, there's a monologue. It goes for, I uh, think, a little bit too long. Mm. Yeah, because we don't know who that guy is, right? It's just a psychiatrist. Yeah, like we someone. haven't met him. I think they just say he's a psychiatrist. Yeah. And then so he goes, he, he he's just been talking to... To Norman, and he comes mm. in and says, "Yep, he's just the mother has told me everything." Yeah, and he, that's when we find out. Well, we we learn officially that it, it's like dissociative identity disorder or something like that, and yeah, assumed well, the role of his mother. Yeah, after the sheriff's is like, "Oh, he's a transvestite." It's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. "Well, no, 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 he's not a transvestite. He doesn't do he it for sexual. Has, yeah, he doesn't do it for sexual satisfaction. He has been living. Doesn't really say how long, but maybe like the last ten years, mm. as both identities as like a coping mechanism for the yeah. death of his mother. Yeah, yeah. and then so I think it, I think he even says that it starts out as uh, he just doesn't sort of believe that his mother's dead, mm. and then he just acts as if his mother is still alive, and then uh, he starts dressing as her and getting that fake wig and stuff to actually. <laughs> sort of trick his mind even more into giving his mother words and actions. Mm. And then he essentially says, and now the Norman Bates is gone. Norman yeah. Bates does not exist anymore. He has become his mother. Yeah, I think, I can't remember the wording exactly, but the psychiatrist says something along the lines of like, he was always half Norman, half his mother, yeah. but Norman never has full control. Only the mother yeah. takes full control, yeah. which and is it, like whenever he has like a, a murderous rampage, that's the mother. The, the mother comes out. Yeah, when a sexual <laughs> impulse... Um, arises, that's when the mother's like, nope. <laughs> he, yeah. That will be tiring. He must be like Spider-Man, but instead of a spider suit, he just walks around all day with a wig and an old dress and is like, whoop, mo- mother's coming in. Better coming better in. fight a changing room. <laughs> oh, God. Then yeah, and, then, and then they ask, well, what about the money? Where's the money? And they say, well, he, he knew nothing about the money. The money yeah. would have been buried with the car. Mm, and oh. that, that's possibly like the punchline of, of it being a horror is there was no motive um, like what every other character suspected. It yeah. was just, yeah, just snapped. And, crazy man being crazy. Mm. And this is where we get that end scene of Norman sort of in the cell. There's no dialogue uh, that he speaks. It's all just internal yeah, monologue. It's, it's an internal the monologue, yeah, voiced by the mother. Yeah. And so the mother's pretty much taking control and saying, oh, I'm sorry I had to... Con- it's like, I'm sorry I had to condemn my son, but they would never believe it was me. Look at that poor old lady. She could never even hurt a fly. Yeah. And like that. And like sort of makes out that um, they've gotten away with it kind of thing. Yeah. So like, like in his brain, there's definitely still two people when there's clearly just Norman. Yeah. That slow zoom on his face, like while that inner monologue is going on and then you see that like creepy smile mm-hmm. kind of come through. And even that like crossfade transition into the end title card and you've got the car being like, Pulled, pulled from the pulled swamp, swamp yeah. Like the way that that transitions is it, really creepy. It's, I don't know if there's a second image like superimposed in there between the shot, but yeah, when it starts fading from him to the next shot, like halfway through the fade, it just looks weird. Mm. He looks distorted and like a crazy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they put like the mother's face in there in the edit or something. 
But yeah, so it was it's um it's very well written and it's paced really well and I actually liked the writing even in comparison to like modern script writing. It's very succinct mm. and witty. Um, it's quotable. You had some like dark humor in there as well. Like it was just really well done. Yeah, there's definitely a reason it holds up as one of the you know most iconic. I mean, movies in general, but horror mm. movies of the past hundred years. Yeah. Uh, going into it having never seen it, it's always strange when you see a movie that has such a big reputation. Yeah. Because you go in thinking, oh well, it, surely it can't be as good as people it's say. Like, talked up. Yeah, but. If you kind of ignore that and go into it, it's it's definitely a good movie. I thoroughly mm. enjoyed it. When you're watching these older films as well, you've got to try and remember that, like, put yourself in the position of someone seeing this for the first time. Yeah. Like, not necessarily that film for the first time, but anything that's been done that way. Yeah. It, you kind of can't because that's... We've just gone too far as, yeah. a, as a society from, you know, what they were like back mm. then. But it definitely, definitely holds up. Not that, like, it's a position that everyone would see themselves in, but it's a relatable film. Like, it's things that could happen. Yeah. yeah. And have happened, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, Ed Gain. Ed, Ed Gain. <laughs> Nipple belts. Yeah. Lip lampshades. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get me one of those. Yeah. If you haven't looked up Ed Gain, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. Um, Elia. So, yeah, I, I think um, it's a really good film to start with. Like, now that we're delving into specific films, because we kind of had a list of different films that we wanted to talk about that we've both seen and both really love, and there's a lot that we could discuss. Mm. But, yeah, having the idea to kind of, like, go back to where it all started, I guess, in our eyes. And, yeah, um, yeah sort of, like, using that as, like, the benchmark when we go through all these other films. So you can see kind of, like, this is how it was first done and... Yeah, for like comparative purposes, it's interesting to see how horror as a style, I suppose, has developed over has the years. evolved, and changed, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Mm, I think that's uh, pretty much everything. Absolutely. Are we going to tease or say like our outline? So like how we're going to go this movie, the next week's another movie. Yeah. We just won't say which movie. We, we won't say the films, but we can say our, our like release schedule plan. Okay. So, we, so our first episode was Get to Know Us. Second episode? Bit more of a get to know us. Yeah. So like this, more like this this is our taste. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. Uh so so now we've done a movie review. Next time we're going to do another movie review. We're not gonna say which one. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna go back to another topic which uh isn't about any sort of specific movie or mm. anything like that. We'll you'll find out eventually. We wanna try and like break it up a bit so it's yeah. not just movie review after movie review. We wanna like have, you know, a couple films that we really love that we can delve into and then we want to have like just a fun episode where we just talk. We'll have like a topic episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be might be a trivia game, something like that. Might mm. be about a certain topic, maybe different directors, uh, different styles, genres, stuff yeah. like that. But we've decided the next week's movie, you'll you'll find that out. Mm. And, and we're, the, we're kind of going with the, the rotation of old and new, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can expect the next week to be uh, much newer than a movie from the 60s. <laughs> well, did we decide like what the threshold would be because I, what I perceive as old, um, if we're talking about the horror genre, I would say pre nineteen ninety or even two thousands. Okay, uh, like everything after two thousands would be new. Everything yeah. before would be old. I one hundred percent agree with that. I think that's a good okay. idea. There you yeah. go. So, so, pre, so that's pre how we're working. Post two thousand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So next next week will be definitely be a movie post two thousand. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's everything we have to say for today. So we'll be right back. <laughs>